God will begin to break you and he'll begin to let you fail and not even be able to do the things right that you've been good at. And you'll find that you're weak and you can't do things right sometimes and it all falls apart because God wants to do something more with you. Brokenness. That word carries a lot of negative connotations in the realm of secular self-help. But Christian author Nancy Lee DeMoss has written, True brokenness is a lifestyle, a moment-by-moment lifestyle of agreeing with God about the true condition of my heart and life, not as everyone else thinks it is, but as he knows it to be. Today we continue our series looking at some of the most fundamental elements that make for freedom from pornography and sexual sin. Today we look at the vital subject of brokenness, because far from being something that causes us to be dysfunctional, biblical brokenness is actually one of the doorways into freedom. I'm your host, Nate Dancer. This is Purity for Life. The of self-help uses the term broken all the time to describe a person who does not function the way they should. This makes perfect sense, and there's even a measure of truth in it. The problem is, the Bible tells us that we need to be broken. And if we're not careful, we can shy away from a good gift of God because of the influence of culture's message. For a man or woman in sexual sin— Brokenness is a deeply needed experience and a powerfully restorative one as well. It's a gift to be desired and sought after, not feared. To start off today's show, biblical counselor Jim Lewis discusses the true nature of brokenness and repentance from a biblical standpoint. Read any journal or blog article written from a psychological perspective on the subject of brokenness And the writer will offer sympathetic words about the pervasive nature of struggle, grief, depression, and how emotional pain afflicts seemingly every soul. After all, they will say, we are all broken. And when people in general, even those in the psychologized culture of today's church, speak of their own brokenness, they speak of it in one of the following ways. Some speak of brokenness as the result of being sinned against. I was sexually abused as a child, and that left me scarred and broken. And others use the word broken to describe having to endure great suffering or grief. The loss of both of his parents in the accident left him a broken man. As a biblical counseling ministry for men in sexual sin, we see more than our share of this kind of brokenness. We see men who have been terribly abused, who have been greatly sinned against, who have suffered much and experienced the pain of loss and grief. And we help these men deal with many of these issues by applying the comforting balm of the Word of God to their hearts and trusting it will be applied to them by the Spirit of God, whom Jesus called the Comforter. But many others use the term brokenness to explain the reason why they sin. They say something like, 
in my brokenness from feeling abandoned by my father, I pursued pornography and self-gratification. According to this line of thinking, sinful attitudes and actions against God are conceded as permissible, even unavoidable, because something happened to them that needed fixing. So why are we suggesting in this show that brokenness is a key element in finding freedom from pornography and other sexual sin? It's really quite simple. When the Bible speaks of brokenness, it means something entirely different than the examples I already gave. Biblical brokenness is something to be pursued, not avoided. Something to be embraced and not something from which you need healing. Something that brings freedom from sin, not enslavement to it. Biblical brokenness is a good thing and will do you good. Listen to the way David speaks of brokenness in Psalm 51. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In this psalm, King David has come to grips with the horror of his sins of adultery and murder. And in this light, David confesses that what would please God most is if David had a broken spirit. He didn't sin because he was broken. He sinned because he wasn't. This admission is baffling, maybe even abhorrent to those who have been schooled in the thinking of psychology. Look also at Psalm 34. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34 is a psalm that celebrates that God has come to David's rescue and saved him from a perilous situation. In it, he reflects on those whom the Lord watches, whom he regards, whom he rescues. He describes the righteous as those who are broken-hearted and crushed in spirit. The righteous are those who seek the Lord, cry out to the Lord, and take refuge in the Lord. The righteous are not those who are strong in themselves, but who have no strength. They are humble, meek, and poor in spirit. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. The Bible clearly shows us that God both desires brokenness and rewards broken people with the wonder of his presence and the power of his deliverance. But why? Because pride is the base sin behind every other sin. Every sin is an act of rebellion against God, and so every sin is an act born in pride. Pride is what keeps us from seeing our need for God and coming to Him for help and salvation. God can only do work in the life of the humble, because only the humble will see His need and ask for help. The Bible says that God stands opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It was pride that caused David to lust after a woman. Pride that made him think he could have another man's wife. Pride to think he would get away with it. 
When Bathsheba sent word to him that she was expecting his child, it was pride that kept him scheming, seeking to cover his tracks, and pride that gave him permission to have her husband cut down and killed on the battlefield. His pride only finally broke under the conviction of God when the prophet told him that his sin was known, that it was repugnant to God, and that it would cost him the life of his infant son. His brokenness in Psalm 51 is not the brokenness of being sinned against or of loss or of suffering. His brokenness is the great coming down of his pride. Men come to pure life after years and decades in secret sexual sin. We know they come to us overflowing in pride because we arrived here the same way. In proud rebellion against God, we pursued our sin, and the more we sinned, the prouder we became until we reeked of it. Then our sin started to pay its wages, and our lives began to unravel. We came here for the Lord to rescue us. And how did he do it? In many ways, the most important of which was that we had to come way, way down in our pride. And we had to come into brokenness. Our brokenness made us open to his work. Our brokenness led to real repentance. And our brokenness allowed God to really get to work in our lives. It is this repentance from pride and coming into humility that makes us pleasing to God. When we see our sins as a grievous offense to the heart of a holy God, we ought to be humbled. When we see ourselves as totally depraved and helpless without Him, desperately in need of a Savior, we ought to be humbled. Jesus declared that those who are happy and blessed are the poor in spirit, and those who mourn. He comforts those who come way down in their pride and blesses their lives. Coming down in our sinful pride, coming into humility and real brokenness is a major key to finally getting free from addiction to porn. In our next segment, you'll hear a selection from a chapel message that a friend, Dave Leopold, delivered to the men in our residential program. Here he explains some of what we go through when the Lord leads us into brokenness. I'd like to talk to you a little bit tonight about brokenness. Brokenness, how can you define it? We, we could all probably define it a little bit. It would be in a little different way, but let me say it this way. Brokenness is when God takes you when you're working so well in yourself and you're doing so well in your own strength and you're being such a good Christian and you're doing it right and you're working hard and you're just, you just got it all together and God takes you and he lets it all break. <laughs> and he lets that, that your own strength kind of runs out. You know, you're, <laughs> I guess this sounds funny, but you're a cracked pot. <laughs> um, you're like a pot that's been cracked. And everything that's you and of your own strength runs out that crack. <laughs> and everything that's God and from him runs in. And you're emptied out of yourself. And you're filled 
with God and a new strength. That's from him. As you read through the Bible, like I said, keep reading it over and over and over. And as you read through the Bible, you'll see consistently that God takes men and women and he breaks them in a wonderful way, like you break a horse so that it's useful. You know, before you break a horse, it's just always agitated. You know, and it's not good for anything but what it wants to do. And you try to get on it, and it's unhappy, and you're unhappy. But when that horse breaks, he's a lot happier, and you're a lot happier. And God breaks us not just so he can use us, although he wants to, but he breaks us so that we can be at peace, so that we can be at rest inside, so that we can be in the glory and grace of God. Peter was a very strong man. And God will use very strong men. And sometimes God, when we're new in Christianity, God will use all of our natural qualities that we're already good at, and he'll make us a blessing in those ways, and that's very practical. But if we go on with God and we're really hungry for God and we begin to pray, Lord, I just really want you and I really want to know Jesus and I want to be filled with your spirit, God will begin to break you and he'll begin to let you fail and not even be able to do the things right that you've been good at. And you'll find that you're weak and you can't do things right sometimes and it all falls apart because God wants to do something more with you then just use you in a natural way. He wants to do something more than just use your natural strength. He wants to fill you with his own. And to do that, he has to empty you. He has to empty you. But if you want to know Jesus, you need to recognize the times when God is allowing things to come into your life to humble you and to break you. Peter, very strong man, greatly loved of God. He had already been used a lot. The disciples had come back to Jesus and said, even the devils are subject to us in your name. They had been used of the Lord. They had been probably done miracles and been involved, seen a lot of wonderful things happen. And then Jesus said to that strong man, Peter, he said, Peter, the devil wants to, to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. Now, wouldn't you think that Peter would say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you that you're praying for me. I can almost see what was going on in his heart. What do you mean you're going to pray for me? I don't need God to pray for me. Hey, I got strength. Remember you said you were given unto me the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You know, whatever I say goes. What do you mean? I'm ready. Well, Peter went out and wept bitterly, didn't he? But you know, I don't feel sorry for Peter because I've been through that. <laughs> and it's one of the most wonderful things that's ever happened to me is when God empties me out of my own strength 
and my own abilities so that he can fill me with his. Peter failed miserably, and so did all the disciples. <laughs> and, but wasn't it wonderful that out of that failure of all the disciples, they went through an emptying out of themselves. Self-confidence, self-strength, it was gone. And do you know what that led to? That was their preparation for Pentecost. For God to fill and possess them with the Holy Spirit. And you know one thing they knew very well when that Holy Spirit came to them? They knew that it was not of themselves. They knew that it was not because they were wonderful. They knew that it was not because they deserved it or they were special. They knew that it was the mercy and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God wants to do for us. But there's an emptying process. Really, it's the filling process. <laughs> but, you know, part of the filling process is emptying if there's something else in the vessel. I grew up working on cars. And I don't do it much anymore. But, you know, when I fix a car, usually there's something wrong with a car, but it still runs. It just doesn't run right. But five minutes into fixing the car, it doesn't run at all. Because I've got everything disconnected and I've got it all apart. The timing belt's off and eventually I pull the head off of it and it doesn't run at all. It's good for nothing. It's, it's worthless, so it seems. But that's part of the fixing process. I've got to take it apart first to make it run right. That's kind of the way we are with God. We work a little bit before he starts emptying us. And partway into the process, it doesn't feel like we work at all. And we feel good for nothing. But God is at work in your life. And he's taking you deeper. And he's giving you experience. And someday you're going to have something that you can impart into people's lives because you've been through something with God. And he's made you to know him and you've been emptied out of your pride and yourself and your self-sufficiency. And it's not because you're so bad. It's because you're human. You're a member of the human race. God doesn't break us because we've sinned. He does it to set us free from the grip of sin that has us bound. His breaking may be painful, but he's not doing us any harm. His breaking is not punishment, it's preparation. He has to break us before he can heal us. It's all part of his work of saving and transforming our lives. I can tell you this because this has been my experience, and I'd like to share a part of that with you now. When I came to Pure Life Ministries in 2008, I was tired of sin, I was tired of feeling that life was meaningless, I was tired of seeing that my version of Christianity had not been able to set me free from my addiction to sexual pleasure. And when I got onto the residential campus, I remember thinking, I am going to do really well in this program. Because in my mind, I was a great person whose problems in life were due to my one small problem with sexual sin. And 
once I dealt with the pornography, everything would be taken care of and I could move on with my life. In the early months of my program, I was a model student. I got along with the other students, I put my heart and soul into the homework, my chores were always finished on time, and I tried to do my best when I was at my job. But something was wrong. No one else was convinced that I was doing things well. My counselor confronted me on my pride, even telling me that it was off the charts. I kept hearing that I didn't see things right, that my best thinking was what got me to Pure Life Ministries, and that I didn't understand just how evil my flesh nature was. So, at the four-month mark, I had a little talk with God. And I said, God, these people are telling me that my problem is bigger than I think it is. I'm really not sure what to think about that, but I haven't been able to get rid of the sexual sin myself. So, Lord, I lay down everything that I thought I've known, and I ask that you would show me the truth. And honestly, I thought that was a very noble prayer, and I expected that God would give me a great revelation, some deep and profound truth that I had never known, something really that would make me an even better version of myself. But that is not what happened at all. I was completely unprepared for God's answer. Very quickly, I began to see myself as God himself saw me. My eyes began to open wide to the reality of my life, and I was horrified. First, there was the reality that I had used women to satisfy my sexual desires. I didn't care for them at all. Sure, I was a nice guy, according to other people, but when it came right down to it, I was willing to do whatever it took to these women to satisfy my sexual lusts. But even worse than this, I started to realize that my life bore almost no resemblance to the Bible's depiction of a true believer. My life wasn't full of the Spirit's fruit. It was a barren wasteland. I was gripped with lust, plagued by unbelief and cynicism, eaten up with fear, pride, criticism, and self-centeredness, and the list went on and on. As I began to see this, desperation began to grip me. For months, I agonized over my spiritual condition, but I couldn't find any way to improve it. I prayed over and over and over, but there didn't seem to be anyone listening at the other end. I would go to the scriptures to find refuge, but everywhere I turned, the Bible was condemning wicked men, men just like me. This new reality was horrible for me. It, it felt like I had woken up from a beautiful dream in which I was completely at peace and into a nightmare in which nothing was certain, everything was terrifying, and from which I feared I would never, ever awake. I remember one time telling my counselor that I was terrified that God would never accept me, no matter how much I sought him. And his response to me was, it'd be better to die and go to hell seeking God than to live forever never seeking him. 
And so despite the agony, I persisted in seeking God because I was convinced that he was my only hope. And again, I didn't know if he would have me, but I knew that I must find him or die trying. One day, as I was begging God to reveal himself to me, he showed me something that devastated me. First, he showed me my sexual sins, the lying, the selfishness, the complete lack of concern for other people's souls as I consumed my lust upon their bodies. And then, he showed me my religious life, all the times I led worship, the times I led Bible studies, the times I had been putting forth a Christian image to other people. And then I saw what God was getting at. That in his eyes, there was no difference between the two things. It didn't matter to him whether I was watching pornography or leading worship or coercing a girl into sexual acts. It all looked the same to God. All of it, my sexual sin and my religious life, it was all perverse, self-centered, unholy, and unacceptable to him. At this point, I started to honestly wonder if even God himself could save such a person like me, so corrupted, so selfish, so tainted with sin. And about a month later, I visited the old rugged cross that is on the Pure Life residential campus. I got down on my knees and I said to the Lord, God, I've never doubted your existence. I've never questioned whether Jesus is the Son of God. I've never disbelieved the resurrection or any of the historical doctrines of Christianity. But honestly, I don't even know if you want me. This prayer was simple, it was desperate, and it was from my heart. I had been in the residential program for eight months, and what did I have to show for it? I still wasn't sure that I knew God. And then the revelations began to come. Suddenly, for the first time, I really understood why God sent his son. I understood the beauty of the cross. For the first time in my life, I I saw it not with my mind, but with my heart. He had given his life on the cross because he loved people like me men and women who had betrayed him by their sinful lives. He truly wanted to fellowship and commune with us. He wanted a way to be able to bring us back into loving relationship with him. And that night, as I saw these things with my heart, I put my faith in Jesus for the first time. And I went to bed at peace And when I woke up in the morning, I was brand new. And as I look back on the months of agony and pain that were leading up to the revelation of the cross, those days are some of the most wonderful memories that I have of my walk with God. Because I sincerely asked him for help and he was the only one who knew what I really needed. And he responded by lovingly breaking me. He is the great physician. The world offers superficial healings that cripple us in the long run. But I found out by experience that after the breaking, there is genuine and lasting healing. And I found out in those days that I can trust him with the care of my soul.
I hope this episode has brought clarity to this extremely important subject. When God speaks of brokenness in his word, it is an experience to be desired, pursued, and embraced. It is the path to our healing and our freedom. Yes, it can be quite painful, but it is how God accomplishes his deepest work in our lives. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, I would encourage you to read Steve Gallagher's book, I, the Root of Sin Exposed. In this powerful book, Pastor Steve shows that the root of all of our struggles with sin is the self-life and the pride that feeds it. And then he shows us that the path of brokenness and humility destroys these sins from the root. It's a book that's helped thousands of people walk in a nearer place with God who is drawn to the broken and the contrite. You can get that book today by visiting store.purelifeministries.org and looking for I, the Root of Sin, Exposed. Again, that's store.purelifeministries.org and I, the Root of Sin, Exposed. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.